Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast, where we believe God is with us and speaks to us wherever we're at, whether at work, home, or on the move. We'd love for you to be connected with us by visiting us at myemmanuelchurch.com or any social media platform using at myemmanuelchurch. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Thank you for joining us here today. You can take a seat if you are with us here. If you're online, thank you for also tuning in with us. Uh, We are glad that every single person that is watching, that is here, is here. Uh, We're happy to have you here today. I'm Pastor Gabe, in case you don't know who I am. Uh, Today is um, a couple things. We are ending our series today called A Place at the Table. Um, Last week, we shared a great service with our Spanish service for Easter, celebrating Easter. We had a great weekend. Um, But also today is a little bit of bittersweet uh, for us here, for our family, church family here. As um, our worship leader, uh, Stephen Beltran, this is uh, his last Sunday with us um, here in Emmanuel Church. And it, it, it is bittersweet, you know. Uh, he's getting married, so yes, that's awesome. Uh, his fiance is here with us today, but, you know, it is all for good reasons that this is happening. But, you know, we will definitely miss him very much today. Uh, we're going to be having, of course, a little uh, celebration afterwards. But before that, and before I get into the word, I just wanted to give him a chance to say a few words. Uh, doesn't have to be long. Just uh, however, um, you know, because we we uh, we affectionately refer to him. Most of us here call him Gaio. Uh, that's what we've always called him here. There's another Gaio in our church too, but uh, this is the one uh, uh, I've known him since. Since you were 17, I believe, 17, uh, was his youth pastor, and now his pastor, and we've worked together for many years, and um, yeah, I, I, have, I, could th- I could go on talking about a lot of things, but I'm going to give him an opportunity to say a few words. Test, test, one, two, church, I always do that, sorry guys. Thank you guys, uh, this is a new journey for me, for me and my fiance. You know, I had a blast here. This has always uh, been my home. You know, I'm not going to cry, especially not next Sunday, Pastor. I'm, oh, I'm, cry. I'm probably going to cry next Sunday. But today, we're celebrating, you know, it's a victory. It's a, a new life for me for going into marriage. And, you know, it's not just about me anymore, but it's about me, my wife, and God. And, uh. We, uh, I'm excited. I'm scared and excited and nervous. So I have mixed emotions. But God is helping me through everything. And I love all of y'all. The band, the pastors. Thank you, pastors, for all those words. And los hermanas aquí. Gracias, hermanos, por las palabras. Para, los orejas, you know. Thank you, Pastor Gabriel. You know, I love you, bro. You help me out. My lowest, when I was rock bottom, you always there. No, I'm miss you, bro. No, it's not goodbye. It's just see you when I see you. <laughs> or, you know, I love y'all and thank you so much for being a blessing to me, for being part of my team. I love y'all so, so much. God is good. Thank you, guys. We had a conversation. I was texting him, and I was like, don't make me cry. And he's like, I'm going to try not to, because he says, I might cry. If you cry, I'm going to cry. That's just how it's going to happen, you know. Uh, But, yes, we are going to, he is definitely going to be missed here. But he is uh, still part of our family, you know, and he will always be part of this family here. And so we appreciate you for all that you've done over the years. And uh, we wish you well. And at at, um, 
at the end or at some time today, we are going to also be praying for you and your fiance as we bless you and sending you out from here. So, uh, but before before that, we're going to get into the word today. Um, if you would join me in the book of John, John chapter twelve. The series, A Place at the Table, has been about how we can come to look at the life of Jesus and basically look at tables. Jesus did a lot of work around tables. He was a carpenter. He probably made a few. Uh, we don't know. Uh, we, he never opened a shop. It doesn't tell us. You know, He didn't ever open an Etsy shop or anything like that. Uh, but, but Jesus often found himself around tables and these interactions he had with people in these spaces were very intimate and powerful where he gave a lot of voice and empowerment and love to those who were often pushed away and he always tried to make he oh everything that he did was to make space for people at his own table at his own table and so today we find the story of Jesus and I know Easter was last week but this is a pre-Easter story of Jesus in the town of Bethany in chapter 12, and we'll, we'll, we'll read it in just a moment, but this scene is very powerful because it's connected with something. In the story, as we read it in a second, we're going to see that Jesus is anointed by some perfume. You know, have you ever encountered anyone with a little bit too much perfume? It just hits you. It just hits you. You know, smell is powerful. Um, smell is a powerful thing, but our senses are powerful. They have a lot to do with how we go about our day, how we experience things, how, what, you know, if we're able to see, to see, you know, some of y'all don't know, but, uh, because, uh, you know, it doesn't, I don't always wear my glasses, but I am bo- basically almost blind. Um, when I don't have my contacts on, I can't see anything past like an inch after my nose. As long as it's here, I can see it. So if I don't have my contacts or glasses on, you have to be this close to me for me to see who you are. Uh, don't do that. I, I enjoy my personal space. Uh, but we, we see the world, uh, and, and it, it is something that changes based on our experience. Uh, I've seen, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of people who are colorblind wearing like the colorblind correction glasses for the first time. And for some of them, it's a very emotional experience where they're like, I can see like colors in the world now. And for others, they're just like, man, how wrong was I? I thought that that was like black and it's red. Like, it's a whole different color. You know, it's a whole different world. Our our sense of sight is important how we experience. Our sense of hearing is important. Uh, And music is important. I want to talk about music a little bit because, you know, worship. Uh, and I just connected that today. That was my connection. And music is is powerful. It, it creates emotion. It helps. It can even help us and connect us with memories as well. When we hear a song or a song that from a certain time in our life, we're just like, oh, you know, that reminds me of high school. Oh, that reminds me like of when I was a kid. Oh, we used to sing that song when I was a kid all the time. Or you know, it reminds us of people, places. Uh, music is powerful. Can, can you imagine, like, I don't know if any of you are Star Wars fans, but I am. Um, can you imagine, uh, most people know, even if you're not, don't, you're not a fan of Star Wars, you know who Darth Vader is. You know, Darth Vader has a very imposing presence, and he has a theme that comes along with him every, almost every time he enters a room. You know, I cannot play it for you guys because Disney will take this video down. Uh, they are very strict on copyrights. But you know the song? Dun, dun, dun. That's Darth Vader when he walks in the room. Can you imagine if something else played? It would be weird. If it was slow music, like a ballad, it's like that, that's not Darth Vader. That doesn't create the presence of something fearful and imposing. We... we it creates that emotion. Music does that. It creates that emotion. In fact, so much so there is a version of Star Wars The Last Jedi, love it or hate it, I know there's a lot of people that have opinions about it, that is on like the digital copies and Blu-ray versions where you have to look into the menu and you can find a way to play the entire movie without any dialogue, only the music. 
And it creates this experience where you see it and you can feel what's happening in the movie regardless if there isn't dialogue because the music invokes emotion. It changes us. It can change uh, our, our mood. You listen to Anybody ever listen to sad music when you're sad? I like to. I need to I'm sad. I need something slow, something to match my mood right now. Help me feel, you know? Or, or you're happy and you want to listen to something that moves and gets you going. Or you're working out and, you, need, you know, me and Guy, we, uh, we, we worked out like a, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago? Um, you know, and I've always had that conversation, like, what kind of music do you listen to? You know, people always ask you, because you need some music to help you get into the exercises, get into it. Sometimes you lose motivation, it's like you hear the song, it's like, ah, this is a good one. This is a good one to work out to. It can help motivate us. It can change our perception of the world around us. But also smell. Smell is a very powerful uh, emotion, uh, a sense, and that is the one that we're going to be talking about in our story today. Smell can connect us more than anything to our memories. I said that smell can connect us to memories more than images, more than sounds, more than anything else. Studies have shown that people who remember and associate memories with certain smell will retain that memory 75% better than if it was just something that they saw because they associate it with a smell. And you know the kind. You start to smell salty air. What does that remind us of? Beach. Summer. You walk into a house, it's like, oh, those, that's, that's my mom's cooking. That's my, my grandma's cooking. Oh, the cookies. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that, it, it, it reminds us, it stirs emotion as a, in us. It reminds us of our childhoods or of our past and so much that can be associated with, you, with it. But it, it's also a powerful tool that people can also use to change how you feel and to change how you think. Sometimes I've asked my wife if she's hungry because I'm hungry. And she's like, no, I'm okay right now. Like, All right, well, I'm going to make something. Five minutes later, I'm already starting to cook and something. She's like, never mind, I'm hungry. Why? Because the smell from the kitchen starts to move what you're feeling. You're like, I may not have been hungry in the moment, but now I, I smell something. And that happens to me too. I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm not hungry. And I smell some food. I drive by like a restaurant and they have the smell coming out of it. I'm like, oh, that smells good. I need to eat now. I, I need to eat something. I need to eat something. Smell does that. In fact, it's so powerful that often uh, companies will use it, call, uh, use something called scent marketing. Now, whether or not that, that you feel that is ethical or not, that's a whole different conversation, but this is something that they do. They put certain scents into places that you go to, either stores or restaurants or other things. They put it through the, the AC system so that you can associate where you're at with a certain smell. Although this store is no longer popular, uh, w- when I was preparing the, my message, I, remember, uh, I remembered the smell when I read this about this store. It's not super popular, and it used to be called one thing, but now they have like two stores. I don't know. Abercrombie and Fitch. Anybody ever been in there? All the stores smelled the same. Like it's like that's why Abercrombie and Fitch all smelled the same. I'm like, you know what? They did. Like no matter what mall I went to, they all had that same smell. They all had a particular scent. Now they're Abercrombie and Fitch. They have two separate stores, but they 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 have this certain scent to them. Uh, People will do that. Businesses will do that because they want you to associate that place. They want you to remember it when you walk in or when you walk by. You're like, oh, it catches my attention. One place that I I really liked, uh, which which is interesting what they do, is Cinnabon. Anybody like a good Cinnabon? Very sweet. I, I don't really eat them too much anymore because they are so sweet. They're so sweet. But Cinnabon does this thing where anywhere that they place their stores, they strategically pick locations so that they can have, uh, they strategically pick locations and they strategically pick an older type of oven that doesn't, that has this kind of hood that traps the scent in their restaurants and in their area so that it doesn't dissipate over large areas or it doesn't dissipate when surrounded by other things. And so the moment you walk by Cinnabon, 
or you're in its area, you know the scent. You know the scent. And I never even thought about this, but as I was reading this, and they didn't say this in the article about cinnamon, but they said, I thought, I also thought, almost every cinnamon I've ever seen in a mall is never in the food court. They're like always somewhere else. Why? Because they want their smell to be distinct. They don't want it to get covered up by the Chinese food and McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and Sabar. And they, they don't want it to get covered up by anything else. Because we need to be here because when people walk by, they'll sell our food and not everybody else's. And they do that, of course, to sell you their product. They want you to buy their things. And so they, they, I've even heard where they'll like pump the scent of, oh, Dunkin' Donuts, I heard that they were, did a, a, a trial run where they would put their scent in trains so that at one of the stops where they had a Dunkin' Donuts, they would walk off and they would be like, I need some Dunkin' Donuts. And people wouldn't even know why. Because they made a partnership. It's powerful. Scent is powerful. It can change an atmosphere, change how we're feeling. And in this story, we find exactly that. A moment where scent plays a critical role in what this story is about. Because it changes us. And the, the title of my message today is Changing the Atmosphere. Changing the Atmosphere. And in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, it says like this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha... Uh, I'm sorry. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was the le- later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was a year worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And I did not include this last uh, verse on the screen, but verse 8 also. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Father God, I ask that you speak to us today through your word, that you allow us to see what it is that you have to say to us, Holy Spirit. Don't let us walk out of here with nothing, but let us walk out of here with something, a changed perspective or a changed heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So this story, um, a little bit about the story itself. This story is found in all four of the Gospels. It is mentioned in every single Gospel. However, John's Gospel is the only one who gives a name to the woman. And it tells us in this story that it is Mary. Mary, we know, if you know the rest of the story, well, maybe you don't because there's like 20 Marys in the Bible. Um, In fact, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, it tells us that Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, and then the other Mary all went to the tomb. So it was all three. And our pastor, senior pastor's name is Mary. So there's a lot of Marys. (laughs) Um, And so Mary, Martha's sister, uh, is here. Martha and Lazarus' sister is the one that's mentioned in this story. However, there is some differences among the other two, uh, the other three accounts of this story, and it's very interesting when you look when you compare them side to side. They all have to do with perfume. They all have to do with someone objecting and saying that this isn't right. This money should be given to the poor. It's a, there was always an ulterior motive to that, and there was always something that Jesus did to to to, to shut them up, basically, to silence their objections, and. In three of the stories, the woman is not named. And so some people believe that this may have been two separate incidents. That, uh, because one of the stories describes the woman anointing his head uh, with oil. And then the other three stories mention anointing his feet with oil and wiping it with her hair. And so some people think that, that maybe it's two different stories. Or it, it's, you know how people get stories... Uh, 
mixed up all the time or they remember certain things. You know, when they were writing their gospel, it's like, well, I remember the head. It's like, man, you were the only one that remembered. We all remembered him, her pouring perfume on his feet. Well, that's not what I remember. <laughs> that's how we are. We, uh, but it could all be one story. It could be two. But regardless, the, the message here is the same. We see something important happening here in the life of Mary and what, or the life of this woman and what Jesus is doing. This scent, the perfume, was so striking, the Bible tells us, is that it filled the entire room. It changed the atmosphere. Can you imagine just like even probably walking by that house and then suddenly that all this scent of perfume hits you? Because when you put on perfume, when you put on cologne, you're going, but it's just a little spray. It's not a lot. A lot, a little can do a lot. This is a pint. I, I don't even know like my measurements. I don't know what a pint is, but it's a lot of perfume. That is a whole lot of perfume that is going to create a scent that is going to linger, that is going to change, that is going to get reactions. And it wasn't just the perfume that was doing it. It was the actions of this woman or of Mary who was doing this that that incited things to happen in this story. It incited things to happen in this story. So it's very interesting because what she does, she does out of love. What she does is an expression of love. She does it out of what she has experienced. So one account tells us that it was a woman who had a lot of sin in her life and she had felt that she had been forgiven. And Jesus says, this woman has been forgiven much, so of course she loves much. And here she is expressing that love. And if we take the story from Mary's account, of course she had much to love Jesus for. Their brother was dead and he brought him back. Jesus brought back their brother. And some people even believe as they tell us in some versions of the story, that they were at the house of a man named Simon the leper, that Simon the leper was someone who had leprosy that could have been Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' father, whom Jesus healed of leprosy. So he had done so much for their family. She had so much to be grateful for. And so she said, I have to express the love that I have in my heart for Jesus. I need to do this. I need to do this. Her actions were love, motivated by love. And Jesus' actions were also motivated by love. His reaction to her were motivated by love. This whole situation starts with that. Because we have to realize something. If this was an event in where Jesus was invited to be in, with these people at the table, the story tells us here in John that he was sitting with Lazarus and they were among the others at the table. And most likely, in those day and age, if it was just Lazarus and Jesus, they mentioned the rest of the people at the table were most likely just men. Meaning that women didn't have a space in this conversation at the moment. But Jesus extended his love, extended his hand out to her and said, no, you have a place at this table. You can do what you've come to do. You have this space. You have this place. Because that's what Jesus was about. Jesus was about creating spaces for people in a culture where women didn't have a voice or didn't have value or were seen as property. He elevated them. He elevated them. He allowed her to do something that shouldn't have been done by a woman in those days. Because the account that tells us that his head was anointed by oil, that's an important thing. It's not just nothing. Like nowadays, we, we, we do that when we pray for people. We anoint people with oil. We, you know, we put it on their heads or whatever, and then you hope you don't break out. No, this is just a joke, but you know. Uh, we, 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 we do that. We do that when we pray for people. And so it's, it's a common occurrence. But nowadays, that's now. In those days, to anoint something, to anoint someone was reserved for two groups of people, prophets and priests. They were the ones who re reserved the right to anoint the articles for the temple. They, were anoint they would anoint uh, the food. They would sanctify food that they would place into the temple. They would anoint kings and leaders and others, and they would pray and anoint them with oil. 
They would speak the word of God and bring people into their calling by anointing them. We see the stories in the Old Testament where the prophets would anoint the heads uh, of such as King David to be the next king of Israel or to anoint their heads with oil to become the priest, the high priest, or to anoint their heads with oil to become their successor as Elijah did with Elisha. It was something that was reserved for prophets and it was something reserved for priests to anoint kings and leaders and people. So something that should have been reserved for a man, because you couldn't be a priest if you were if you were a woman in those days. You could not. It was reserved for a man. It was reserved for someone in the holy position. And Jesus says, no, she has that place here. She has that place. She has that ability. I'm giving her that room to act as priest and prophet. Because it wasn't just that she did that. It wasn't that she just anointed his head or his feet. But he also spoke to what was about to happen. He said, she is anointing me for my burial. Meaning that he was also giving her the office of prophet. Meaning she knows something's about to happen. The rest of you 12 haven't been paying attention because I have been telling you that I am about to die. And you are not listening. You are not paying attention to me. But Mary knew. She knew. This woman knew. She's like, I am doing this in preparation for something. Because that's what Jesus does through his love when we are able to... Because he first meets us. That, that's where the story starts. It doesn't start with this woman stepping in and loving Jesus. It starts with how Jesus stepped into her life first. It starts at that place. Because that's what love does. Love elevates. Love opens spaces. It opens doors. It makes places for people who would otherwise be ignored by the rest of society. People who... Christians and and sometimes people in churches don't even want to deal with. He opens the doors and he says, you are welcome here and you have space in this place. You have a seat at the table with me. He did this a lot. He did this a lot. This isn't the only instance where he let Mary do this. It it seems like nothing, but one day he went to go visit their house and they were getting ready to eat food and Martha was like complaining. She's like, Mary needs to help me. Jesus, tell her something. Because it says Mary was sitting at his feet. And that seems insignificant if you don't know the culture, but the culture is you sat at a rabbi's feet if he was your rabbi and he was teaching you and he was discipling you, and that was only reserved for men. And Jesus said, no, she has space here. Because that's what Jesus does. His love expressed to us is making a space open for us. And it should then, his love, move us into a place of action, of expressing said love. Love invokes action. Love invokes us. Because it, invo- it, it, it compelled her to do this. Even though she knew she would be criticized. Even though she knew that everybody might not agree with it. Even though there are people that are going to criticize her because the perfume was expensive. Or they're going to be like, uh, this is too much of a smell. I need to leave. There were going to be problems, but she said, I want to do this. I need to express this. I need to move into action. I cannot just sit idly by and do nothing. Love invokes action in our lives. Because that's what it moves us to do. If you are living out of faith, that does not embody the love of Jesus, there's something wrong. I have this shirt. It's one of my favorite shirts now. I wear it ever so often. It's like this light blue color. And it says, if you're using your faith to hate people, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. There's something wrong there. Because that's a reality. Love should invoke or compel us to love. Love should compel us to do what Jesus is doing. To express not only worship in a situation like this, because she was clearly bringing this in a, in a moment of, uh, of honesty and uh, 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 letting out everything and her love and her worship and everything. But it was more than that. 
She also had a task, like Jesus said, he was anointing her. She had something to do. Love should motivate us to, to, to reach out to those who need it. To be like Jesus. To move us to do something. Sometimes we have been Christians, if you have been a Christian for a very long time, the problem that happens sometimes is that we become numb to the love of God. We get so used to hearing it and sometimes even weaponizing it against other people that we lose the meaning behind it. We lose the motivation that it used to give us. We lose what focus it brought to us, what what attention it brought to us, how we felt, how we felt accepted and loved and we had a place and there was someone out there that would listen to us. Love invokes us to action, to create that same kind of space at the table for others, to let others be listened to, to let others be heard, to, to walk with them, to stand with them in moments of injustice and impression. That's how Jesus started off his ministry. I said, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. I see, love invokes action. Love invokes action. It should move us. It should move us, but we get, we get numb. In the book of Revelation, John wrote to a church and he said, uh, you, you, you seem to be doing all of this good stuff, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You're doing the things. You look the part. But it's missing something. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to us one time. And he said, you can give your life up as a martyr. You can do, you can perform miracles and give prophecies and everything. But if you don't have love, you're just noise. That's all you are. That's all you are. Love invokes action and should move us to be like Jesus. Love also exposes the hearts of those around us. This is what happens in this story. Love is powerful enough that it will offend the people that look like they're doing the right thing. It'll offend the people that look like they're doing the right thing. It'll offend the people that say that um, that have ulterior motives, that have something on the inside that they're not sharing with everybody. Because we see this. She purrs the perfume. She breaks it. Tells us it was worth a year's worth of wages. I don't know what a year's worth of wages was 2,000 years ago, but like average wage today like at the lowest end of the spectrum is like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. Can you imagine spending like just breaking something that was fifteen thousand dollars of your life is just gone? But she did it. So I don't know what wages were back then. It says three hundred denarii in some translations. I don't understand ancient money. There's notes and footnotes if you have a study Bible. They'll tell you a conversion rate kind of, but. That wasn't the point. The point was that it was something that was supposed to be valuable. It's like, hey, that could have been sold. But see, Judas, Judas had an ulterior motive. And I wonder how long it took before the disciples realized, the rest of the 12, the 11, realized what happened with Judas. Because up until the very end, it seemed like they were clueless. They're eating the Last Supper. I don't know. I've seen a lot of Easter memes this past weekend, you know, this last week. Um, where Judas is like, hey, y'all ready for the Last Supper? Last Supper. I mean, supper, you know, with the guys. Just, mm, you know, yeah, supper. Last. I didn't say last. But how? I wonder how long it took them. Because even until that moment where the only one who knew in that moment was John... What was about to happen with Judas? Everybody else assumed nothing. It says that, oh, they thought since he's the treasurer, Jesus said we need something for the dinner. We, we forgot something. He sent him out to go buy something else. 
They didn't know. And John writes here, it's like, how could I have not seen it before? He had always had ulterior motives here. He always had ulterior motives. He said he wanted to take the money for the sale of the perfume because he was going to help himself to a little bit of it. But yeah, we're going to give it to the poor. Fine, sell it, to, sell it, bring us the money, we'll distribute it, and then I'll line my pockets. Love exposes those ulterior motives. Because love can expose that the foolishness of other people's words. Sometimes we can make, uh, we can try and sound, do our best to make something sound holy and sound good, but then love, God's love, gets into that and shows us that there's something else, that there's hatred behind those actions, that there is so much problem and toxicity behind those actions, that there are interior motives, but love exposes that. Love exposes all of this. But it doesn't just do that. Love brings correction to it too. Not like punishment or anything. He didn't, he didn't do anything like that, but he pointed us in the right direction. Jesus said, let her do what she needs to do. This is important. She's got a job here. She's got a task here. She's doing this. Whether she knows it or not, she's anointing me for my burial. There is a purpose in this. She is expressing her love. She is expressing her worship. Let her do this. Excuse me. He says, because the poor you'll always have with you. But I I will not always be here with you. Now let me say this. Jesus was not dismissing the poor people. Jesus was not dismissing our mission to the poor people. To poor people. In fact, he was actually pointing us to what we should be doing. What we should be doing. Because what Jesus does is that, maybe you don't know, he quotes, he's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting a a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11, where he says, there will always be poor people in the land. And that's what he says, he kind of paraphrases, he says, there will always be the poor among you. So let her do what she needs to do. So it almost sounds for a moment like Jesus is dismissing it. It's like, don't worry about the poor. This is more important. No, 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 that's not it. Because that, that's not what love does. Love doesn't sit here on a Sunday morning and think that this is the most important thing and that we should not go out after this and love people who need it. That's not what it does. This is not this. In fact, if anything, Sundays are the place where you should come to express your love to God and be motivated by His love to go out into the world and do something else. To do the same. To love others. See, Jesus points us into the right direction because the rest of the verse says, Therefore, Deuteronomy 15, 11, Therefore, I command you, be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. What he's doing, he's not pointing them away from the poor. He says, no, I need to point you in the right direction. See, because your motives, your motives are selfish. Your motives are about you. Your motives are not about love. Your motives look, might look righteous on the outside, might sound righteous to some people, but really, you don't care about the poor. John writes kind of, kind of snidely. Man, John was such a character. You read, the, you read his book, he has all kinds of things in this book like that. He's like, but he was a thief. Trying to take, take the money. And then on the day of Jesus' resurrection, it says, and Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved, that's one thing. He said, I am the disciple who Jesus loved. He doesn't name himself in his gospel. He says, and then the disciple who Jesus loved. John, he loves all of us. Yeah, I know, but he, he loves me. And on the day that they were told by Mary Magdalene that the tomb was empty, it says G- Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved ran to the tomb, and the disciple who Jesus loved, says it twice in one sentence, outran Peter and made it there first. It's like, John, did you really have to include that? Like, was that a necessary detail in your story. I just want everybody to know how fast of you, Peter. 
That was, that was John. Because he had a way of doing things that exposed ourselves intentions. He, he saw. He was the one who knew. And Jesus was pointing us in the right direction. And he says, no, no, no. See, your, your motives are selfish. But what I need to do is I need to point you in the right direction. See, what she is doing is right because it's motivated by love. What you're in your heart doing is say, I'm going to take for myself. But if you really, really want to help, then you would make those words true and actually help the poor. You would actually do something. There are so many people and so many Christians, believers, look good-looking, loving people that sound like they want to help people. They always I've heard people talk about it, how much they want to do for the poor. But then the moment an opportunity comes up to them to do something... Thank you, Edward. I told them last week, I said, you start seeing time running, cut me off. I lost my place. Here we go. He says, you, you make those actions real. And there's a, the moment we encounter an, a moment where we can actually be helpful to somebody, we turn it away. And we make excuses. No. I can't give poor people, homeless people, I can't give them money. I can't give them money. Make excuses. I've heard this excuse dozens and dozens of times. And growing up, growing up, I was like, that makes sense. And the excuse was, I can't, you can't give poor people money. You can't give homeless people money. Because all they're going to use it for is drugs and alcohol. In hushed tones, they say it just like that. They're going to just use it for drugs. I've always heard that excuse. And, I, and, and when I was younger, I said, that makes sense. That makes sense. Until I encountered a situation one time. I was going to Golden Corral. Right here. It has since gone downhill. Don't go there. <laughs> Food is not good anymore. That's what I mean. <sighs> used to be good when they were. I was going with a friend. And there was a man. Homeless. Stood at the entrance. And he was asking for money. You know. And all I had in cash, because I hardly ever carry cash, because I have ADHD, and I just lose it. <laughs> I do when I have it. Ends up in the laundry. Just a couple of dollars. I was like, here you go. And I walked inside, got in line, and started talking to my friend. And I started saying, man, we're not going to see him again, huh? Because he said, I need a couple of dollars more, just a couple of dollars more to be able to get in and eat. And I'm really hungry. And I said, we're not going to see him again. Probably going to take that, go do something with it, go get some alcohol, go get something, I don't know. We're not going to see him again. And after we sat down, we got our food. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw him come in and get his drink and go up to the buffet. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment. It says, if you want to love people, you need to drop that. Drop the excuses. Drop all the things that people tell you are wrong with everybody else. The reasons why you cannot talk to people, why you cannot be with people, why you cannot love people. Because they don't deserve a space in this place. Because I've heard that so many times. And not always just in a loud voice. But by people's actions. They do what I did to that homeless man and immediately judge him. They close the doors on people if they don't look like you. They close the doors if they don't believe like you. If they don't live like you. And I remember the Holy Spirit telling me, if you want to love people, you need to let go of all of that. Because we can make excuses. And we can sound like we are making choices for people that are good and holy. 
Because I've heard every argument under the sun to justify what I thought. They're going to dry drugs. They're going to buy alcohol. What you should do instead is you should just give them food or you should give them a gift card to a certain restaurant. Or this is how, what you should do for them. And I remember after the day I started reading and looking for stuff and I'm like, what is, what is, what can I do? How can I do this? Like, how can I change this? And someone said, you know, you, you first have to remember something. You don't know people's situations and in people that are in situations where they don't have a home, they don't have any way to keep warm. Sometimes alcohol, sometimes drugs are the only things that will keep them warm in the winter because they have no home, no shelter. No, nothing. And when you give them food, you take away their autonomy. You take away their choice as a human being, and you tell them, I know better for you. You don't treat them like persons. Sometimes we do that a lot, too. We see them at the corner, and we avoid eye contact, look at our phone, when they're standing right next to us, and we're at the stoplight. We don't want to look up for fear of our own shame. Deep down. Because Jesus is trying to point us in the right direction. And he says, if you want to be like me, you need to break the prejudices. You need to break the cycle. You need to let go of the things that are keeping you from loving people who need to know me. Because as Followers of Jesus. That is who we are here to represent. And when people see us, sometimes they see Jesus, and other times they don't. They see representatives of a kingdom that wants for itself. Like Judas. We're collecting for ourselves, we're serving our people. Just us. And Jesus says, no, there's no more. No more of that. See, because when I gave my life on that cross, the point, the point was to make space for people. When he died, it says that the tombs opened up and people came back to life. And it says the temple, in the temple, the curtain that blocked access to the presence of God that was only given permission by one man to enter in once a year, ripped in half. And Jesus said, no, it's for everyone. My presence, the access to me, to know me, to know my love is for anyone and everyone. You don't have to be Jewish. It doesn't matter. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, whatever, you are all allowed to be here. Don't listen to what anyone else says because I have made room for you here in this space. And that's who Jesus is. That's what this story is all about. That's who he is about. He makes space for us. And if he made space for us, we can do the same for others. Would you stand with me this afternoon? I pray as we end this series that we are moved by love. Moved by love. That wherever we go, whatever we do, that we would be agents of love, agents of Jesus in this world. Not to condemn, because that's what Jesus said. I haven't come here to condemn you. No, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I have not come to condemn, but to save. I have not come to rebuke, but to heal. I have not come for those reasons. I've come to bring you wholeness. To let you know that you are loved. By Him more than anyone else. And so as those of us who are followers of Jesus, our aim should be to be that in the world. And maybe you're in a place right now where you don't feel that. Maybe you are here and you're like, I don't, it's been a long time since I felt welcome, since I felt that I belong. You're, you're welcome here. Jesus welcomes you here. He welcomes you to him in this place.
So as we get ready to go into this last worship song today, let us close our eyes and bow our heads and get into the presence of God. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this word here today. We ask, God, that you would change us. If our hearts have become hard because of hurt, because of abuse, because of pain, because of loss, because of routine, because of just everything that life brings us, if it's become hard, your word says that you can take that and make it flesh again. You can make it whole again. You can open up our hearts. So help us heal. Help us heal from that. Help us know that we are loved. That you have made space for us in your kingdom and in your presence. And God, forgive us. Forgive us if we have done the work of closing the doors and taking up space for those who need you. Help us to transform. Help us to walk the walk that Jesus walked that makes space for every person he met and encountered, that loved and stretched out his hand, that elevated the, the oppressed, that set free the victims of injustice, that healed the sick and broken. Let us be like you, Jesus, in this world. Help us. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer in this place today, just simply lift up your hand. Let us know. We will pray for you today. If you are watching online and you have a prayer request, let us know in the chat how we can pray for you today as the worship team leads us in this song right now. We hope you've enjoyed this message. We'd love to hear your story about how you've been blessed by this ministry or how we can pray for you. To connect with us, you can email us at amen at myemmanuelchurch.com. And if you would like to support us financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Also, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person for the full worship experience. Thanks again, and we hope you have a blessed week.